everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel, the brain power behind the Selby is Godcast. And of course, you can find us on social media at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. What's up, Zach? Nothing. I feel like we're in purgatory. We don't know what's like. We're Remember the episode of Family Guy with the multiverses and... I feel like we're just stuck in that. I think at one point, Stewie and Brian, they just can't get out of that. It's just like a white screen. I feel like that's where we are right now. In a sort of limbo between worlds. Just walking into the right side of the screen, which becomes the left side of the screen. Okay. Fair I enough. Mean, can, can I sum up 2020 for you so far? Yeah, I would love that. I, I mean, just first, kick up my feet. We had... The Kobe Bryant tragedy with the nine lives lost. We had coronavirus, which is ongoing, um, has ended the lives of 70,000 plus people in America alone. We have murder hornets, uh, hello, <laughs> which just decide to rip off your head and feed your thorax to their young. And now, this week. Praying weekend, for my thorax right now. <laughs> as we record this on Friday, I just read that there is the threat of a special type of winter storm um, that might hit the Northeast this weekend that could produce thunder snow and a bomb cyclone. 2020 is on crack. (laughs) Yeah. Bomb cyclone at one point might have been a compliment. Now, not so much. I have seen... The thing that makes me feel a little bit better, just a little bit, if, if there are enough videos of murder hornets getting murdered themselves that I feel <laughs> like, okay, they've got a weakness. There's, there's, there's a soft spot there. there. There's a kryptonite, and it might be a praying mantis. I mean, I, I sat there yesterday, Zach, and watched a praying mantis eat the head off of a murder hornet. I mean, just scooping brain matter out like it's a freaking pumpkin. And just devouring it. And I, I thought to myself, it is kind of weird because I'm sitting here rooting for the praying mantis because you've heard murder hornets. You think one sting, you're dead. These assholes have got to get killed. and I don't care how it happens. So you're, you're like rooting for the other monster. And I, then I'm thinking, well, if the praying mantis could do this to the murder hornet, what could the praying mantis do to me? And then I start getting worried there. It's like, uh, you know, uh, Godzilla versus Mothra kind of a a thing. In the moment, you might be rooting for one of the monsters, but what happens when they turn their attention back to you? I don't know if maybe I should be rooting for the swarm of bees to overheat the murder hornet. Because what if every bee on the planet watches that video and realizes, hey, maybe we should just do this to to everybody on on the whole planet. Let's just overheat them and, and, and kill everybody. And then they become the murder pests. It's not good. Speaking of murder, um, no, I here's the issue with that. They were like trapped in a box, right? Like in the real world, the murder hornet could just fly away. So I didn't put too much stock into that. It's nice that if a murder hornet is disabled already, a praying mantis can devour it. But I, I in a real situation, the murder hornet flies away and just murders everything in sight. I, I've just seen enough videos that I at least feel somewhat calmer. You know, th- there's uh, th- there's something that the murder hornet might fear. And that's good. I feel like if we all just have that, that predator that's a, a little bit bigger than us, 
keeps us in check. You know, and for, for baseball players, you might be really good at your craft, but there's probably somebody that's always, that's always a little bit better, and it forces you to better yourself. You know, I was pushing. wondering how you were going to segue. And how, how, did, how much did we hear about that in the offseason, about Plesak and Clevenger working out together and that they pushed each other? They, they, they couldn't take a day off. They, they couldn't say that they were tired from the day prior because the other, the other one would just surpass them. And it kept pushing them further and further. It so which one of them. them is which one of them is the murder hornet, and which one of them is the praying mantis? <laughs> oh, I think uh, I definitely would go with Clev as the praying mantis in this situation. No, is that not accurate? <laughs> I have no idea. If you're still oh. listening to this podcast, thank you. Yeah, well, we do at least have some sense that maybe there might be possibly potentially some baseball in 2020 that feels a little bit more real than just hoping that it's going to happen. I mean, there were of course reports from Ken Rosenthal that linked directly to the Indians about actually putting some, some dates on the calendar for players. And I don't know if that's specifically that they believe that that date is the, is the date that everything would, would get underway or it's just, pick a date on the calendar around when we think this might be the, the case. And then let's try to get players ramped up for that. Because even I was listening to an interview, God, it was six weeks ago now, I think like with Trevor Bauer talking about these, these players, they need some sort of, they talk about opening days as not being a finish line, but it is some sense of a finish line where you get prepared for that specific date. And now July 1st, maybe that is, is the the date that everyone can kind of point to and gear up for because le- leading up to this point there was so much talk about maybe it could happen but as a player you, if you don't know when the the starting point is or the finish line is however you want to phrase it it's really tough to know when to start getting ramped up because they know they know how much time they need to get to a specific date but they just need a date to work towards and at least we've got something that resembles perhaps have I put enough qualifiers in there something that could be opening day. Yeah. It's like one of those little toys you played with when you were a kid that you like wind it up, you rotate the little knob for like 10 seconds and then you let go and it spazzes for 30 seconds. Like you you need that wind up period. Um, I think this is all more so preparation and covering their bases because you want to be, prepared for if you get the green light and you you think you have figured this out and can possibly have a season well you have to make sure the union's in agreement with your plan you have to make sure the players know this is what the schedule could look like um and then if if something falters in the meantime you you scrap that or you have a contingency plan um there's just there's no way to predict what the landscape of the country, let alone the league, is going to look like a month from now or six weeks from now. Um, so I think they're just trying to come up with the best plan that might work if they get that green light um, and they can have a few weeks of spring training at their home ballparks in June and then have an opening day on July 1st. But they're just they're going to be hurdles they have to clear. There are going to be obstacles that pop up that they're going to have to figure out how to get around. Um, it's just you know, if they can come up with some sort of framework now, then at least they're prepared and they can work off of that. 
But this is this is tough. I, I've maintained the stance basically since the day spring training shut down that I'll believe there's baseball when I'm like in motion and making plans to cover it. Um, I, I hope there is. I, I still lean toward there will be baseball. I just have no idea what it's going to look like yet because, again, like yeah. – even if you agree and you say, okay, well, teams are going to play in their home state. Like, we're going to play as normal. You're just going to have no fans in the stands and everyone's going to be tested regularly. Like, that's all fine. But do you have a contingency plan in place if someone tests positive? Do you have to shut everything down for a little bit? You know, is, how is how's travel going to work? What are you going to do if, if certain players don't want to risk anything and they don't want to participate in this? I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of back and forth but I guess it's better to initiate that conversation now right. and come up with some sort of framework. The only way you're ever going to come to any sort of conclusion or answer, or at least approach it, is by asking the question. And I think at least setting some dates makes it feel a little bit more real as opposed to all the hypotheticals. When you're talking hypotheticals, it's tough to actually nail down how people actually feel about something. But when you put a date on the calendar, even if it's not exactly set in stone, even though Trevor Plouffe says it, then it just becomes a little closer to reality. Then you can kind of base your your thoughts and your actions a little bit closer to reality, too. I think that helps. This goes back to something we talked about several weeks ago when you know there were original plans put in place by baseball, at least things that they were kicking around, and you had some people up in arms just about them discussing it. I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that at the time. You, you have to have plans in place. You think about the worst case scenario where, where games could still actually be played. Um, and so that's what setting dates kind of does. It just brings you closer to a, a realm where things might actually take place. You're right. There are so many more hurdles to clear. We think of these ball players too as being, you know, if if you're young and healthy right now, you're probably not freaked out about the the state of the virus yourself. You might be concerned with whether you're going to you know, transmit it to mom or grandpa or or someone close to you that might be at risk. But if you're young and healthy, you're probably not fretting about it too too much. But we also like to think of these ball players as being young and healthy, and everyone you know, is, is strong and capable of withstanding if they were to get sick. And there are some players out there that also have some medical problems. <laughs> Carlos Carrasco, thinking about, of, about him coming back. And, you know, is, is he in a place where he would want to be participating in something like this? Uh, so I, I think there are a lot of things, a lot of, as you said, hurdles to clear. But uh, the, the, the other scenario here is that nothing is taking place. And I don't think anything we, we gain anything by just everybody sitting on their hands and waiting for something to happen. And maybe something's never going to happen. And maybe this is just the new normal for, for us, the new risk that we live with in our lives. And if that's the case, then you have to assess what you think is important in your life. And if baseball is part of that, then you're going to have to put a plan in place to, to keep it part of it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's odd. I mean, I've, when that Arizona plan came out at the beginning, I know personally I was – that's when I told myself, like, I'm not letting this take up any of my brain power because hopefully this is leaked just to maybe put feelers out, see what people think. And also at that time, like, we hadn't even begun to understand 
the gravity of this situation. So, but I'm thinking like, how the hell are you going to stuff 5,000 people in a bubble in Arizona and not let them leave their hotel room? And what are you going to do with their families? And like, personally for me, I'm like, you're telling me I have to be stuck in an Arizona hotel room this summer for four months. Like that's, that is my hell. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we've seemingly graduated from that idea and, and maybe there's a chance you can play in, in all the ballparks, but the, the travel part is still really interesting to me. And I guess yeah. if you have team planes, like you would just keep it restricted to those people who, you know, have been approved by the league or, who have been a part of every road trip. So that would be easy. I, I, it's just, it's going to be interesting. I'm thinking, of, like, I'm thinking of that Indians team playing for major league right now. <laughs> that's <laughs> actually the stuff that came to my duct tape. <laughs> But I'm, I'm like, it's, I'm curious, like, will there be full media? Will there like, like, I, I really wonder how this would all work from our perspective and our ability sure. to cover the team and relay the stories and information that people covet. And also like, I don't know. It was just, it would be so strange. I still believe with no fans in the stands with expanded rosters and no minor league season. And what's the most, I mean, at most they're going to play a hundred games, but that's extremely ambitious. I still wonder if it would be better to just say, you know what? Fuck it. 2020, nothing about this year is normal. We have coronavirus, we have murder hornets, and we have bomb cyclones and thunder snow. Let's just scrap the traditional format. Let's play a round robin, like, let's play a, a mini regular season and then have a big round robin tournament. And instead of crowning a World Series champion, we'll just crown a 2020 MLB tournament champion. And it'll just be a little bit different. And that's, like, my version of an asterisk. And just... Like, like we shouldn't pretend that whoever wins a, a decent majority of their 65 regular season games and then gets hot for three weeks with no fans in the stands and, like, a 40-man roster. Like, that's not a World Series run. It, it just seems different to me. So I tend to lean toward let's get creative, let's have some sort of tournament, and let's not try to pretend that this needs to mirror all the seasons that we're accustomed to. I propose Bomb Cyclone and Thunder Snow become the new middle of the order nickname for Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes. Is that cool with you? All right, let's, let's move Those are forward. both awesome band names. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a year it, is. it has been so far. Um, but it has allowed us to, to really, I mean, in, in all of our lives, do so many different things that we normally would do our our routines are are completely screwed up we're not we're not living the same way we're not doing the same sorts of things people that are that have been working from home and and juggling kids it's it's not fun it's but it's what you have to do right now and so it's it's put all of our lives in a, a state of chaos and like i said maybe that becomes in some way a new normal but part of the the chaos has been trying to find a little bit of time to to binge some some shows that maybe you wouldn't normally watch or that you would watch, but you wouldn't have time to sit down and, and cram it all into one showing or how, you know, we're, we're all just living our lives in, in different ways. 
And one of the things that I've gotten to do over the past couple of days is, and, and I'm always behind on any show whatsoever. That's just the way I live. I'd like to let everyone else experience the show. Then I come back weeks later or sometimes years and catch up. But I've been watching The Last Dance documentary on ESPN about the Chicago Bulls and that that last run with Jordan and, and his career and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson and and everything that came together to make them the dynasty that that it was. And of course, for Cleveland fans, it becomes painful a couple of times throughout that documentary. We're kind of used to that by now. We've all lived that, um, experienced that. But the one thing that I found really, like I told you, it was in one way kind of weird, but on the other, on the other hand, it, it really wasn't weird seeing Michael Jordan and more notably how people reacted to Michael Jordan how he interacted with other people. And I'm not talking about necessarily in front of the cameras or at a press conference setting. I'm talking about behind the scenes when the normal television cameras are off. And at this point, they've just got a camera crew following them around. But seeing how he interacts with his teammates, seeing how uh, the people in the media react to him and talk to him and, and how he jokes around and jumps behind the the wheel of the the team bus at one point as he's trying to get you know, Scotty, Scotty Pippen into the bus to get away from reporters. And, and he's joking around um, seeing his interactions with a lot of other people reminds me. And I, I, I say this as someone that doesn't have a ton of access, but I at least have been around the Cavs enough over the past few years to, to see LeBron do some of those sorts of similar things. So it was kind of funny, Zach, to see Michael and how, as as at being the top player in the world, how he just commands the room, and what even when he's sitting in a room full of star NBA players that, that he's just higher than them, and he's sitting you know part of a the Olympic dream team, and it's still all the focus is on him because he's such a, a transcendent star beyond really anybody. Even when you had Magic and Bird, and I mean he just. He's just on an entirely different level for so many different reasons. And then seeing that with LeBron, there are so many similarities with how he talks to teammates, uh, how he interacts with with other people, how there are constantly just crowds around him constantly, uh, whether it's people that you know consider themselves friends or people that are just trying to get an autograph or just trying to be around LeBron constantly. There is just something to when you have a star that's on that level. There's just like a the only way I can I can really truly relay it is to say that there's almost like a sense of gravity to them where they're pulling people in because they are they have that level of stardom. They have that level of importance that you can almost feel when they enter the room. And so it's not surprising that Michael and LeBron would have some of those similarities. But then I also started to think about are there any is there anybody else that I've seen like that? No one could claim that Francisco Lindor is on either one of, of Jordan or LeBron's levels, um, even in the game that he plays. But then I thought, have we ever seen that with, with Lindor, where there's just that certain star power that even when he's around other star players, there's just something about him that when he's in the room, you have to pay attention. Do you see any of that with, with Lindor? Because I, I think at times I have seen a little bit of that. Yeah, it's it's certainly a different level um, than what you're talking about with 
Michael and, and LeBron, but there's this it factor about guys that's difficult to describe, but when you see it, you know it. And I think there's an evolution here, too. I remember Lindor when he was a rookie, and I felt like we talked to him every day, and, you know, he he didn't know any better, and, and he would talk about anything, and he'd talk to anybody, and he'd always be in the clubhouse. And it's a little different with baseball, too, because, first of all, you have 25 guys on the roster. You have access every single day. You have games every single day. Um so you see these people more. So I think it's a little difficult to get to that level. Like, I don't think I could just randomly stand around um, in, in the Cavs locker room one day when LeBron was playing and just grab LeBron one-on-one before a game. Because A, he either wouldn't have been in there, or B, it would be a group session or people would just stampede over there and, and talk to him. Um, but like, I remember talking to Derek Jeter one-on-one in one of his last years in the, in the visiting clubhouse at, at progressive field. And like that, that wouldn't happen if this was any other sport, I don't think, but you see this evolution where like, I remember Lindor's second or third year, like in spring training, you could tell he, the way he conducted himself was like, he knew he had reached stardom like that level and just the way he would walk around the clubhouse the way he would like he knew he had to do media from time to time and it was just like I'm the star of the team like I gotta talk every few days at least and I don't know there's just this weird aura about a player that grows once they realize superstardom and they they become so accomplished and now it's at the point where like it's very different from LeBron in, in that regard, but it's still like, it's, it's really hard to describe. I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but like, they, like there's just, he knows he's a star and he knows like him giving you part, some of his time is a lot more valuable to you than it ever could be to him. Um, and like, he's doing you a favor almost by talking to you and answering your questions. Um, and it's, there's just like something different about it where you could, if you went back and listened to maybe an interview, a group session we conducted with Lindor when he was a rookie, it would probably sound so different than one we conducted with him this year. You know what I mean? I, there's almost, I'm trying to think of a way to say this because the way that it's going to come out is not exactly what I mean, but there's almost like once you reach that level that where Lindor is at and clearly Michael and LeBron ascended to long ago is almost like uh, a desire to to just want to be around that that individual to almost seek their seek their approval. Um, I, 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 that's not exactly what I mean, but it's kind of what I mean. It, there's some. It's just a different conversation when you're talking to someone, and I, and I'm not even talking about us specifically in media i just mean like teammates and you can see guys going out of their way to want to be around somebody like that and and they they command a certain attention when they're in the room um you know their voice carries more weight like i said there's just a certain gravity to it that you could almost feel the pull when you have that sort of star talent i mean and and there are guys that have done this but 
you know, how often do you see a player that just ends his availability <laughs> the way that, that Lindor can, where it's yeah. not as if uh, it's just walks uh, out. It's, but it's not even when he decides that he's done. He'll, he'll maybe make like a quick joke, head nod, and then spin move out of there. And nobody goes, well, hold on, wait a minute. I had one more question. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for giving us your time. Because as you said, we, even we realize in a lot of these settings that, that we are getting more out of this conversation than, than he will. So you see some of that too, where they just, they command the room, they command respect, they command so much. And, and once you elevate to that, that level of, of talent, it's tough to describe, but if you watch the documentary, and I'm sure a lot of people have, based on the ratings, it's been through the roof, you can just see what kind of what we're talking about. And there's definitely a lot of that with LeBron. And there's a little bit of that with Lindor. And, and I'm, I'm curious how much of that can grow in, in future years, especially if, if Lindor goes elsewhere to like a major market, if he's in LA, if he's in New York, if he's, I guess, in Boston, um, considering what, you know, the, the, the pull the Red Sox have, um, maybe that even gets bigger. Maybe that even grows beyond what we've seen so far, uh, just in his little Cleveland bubble, but it's been impressive to, to see that happen for him because it's as, as much as we've seen a lot of really talented players, there's just something else when you're talking about a guy that can stand out among stars that you could be at an all-star game and the attention like uh, in the all-star locker room, who's commanding the attention. He's right there at the top. And there, there are plenty of other really talented players there, but there is nobody that's going to be able to hang with him or very few that are going to be able to hang with him on a personality sort of level. And you just see that with, with guys that are that level of stars. Yeah. And Lindor's a rare breed in that he's always been, I mean, the first day he came up to the majors, I remember thinking this kid is so polished and eloquent and thoughtful and really intelligent. At the time, I think he was 21 years old. And so you think about now, like, it's almost like players know that they're really important. And that almost sounds like I'm not calling them arrogant, but there's like, there's just this sense of... It's just an understanding. Yeah. Where it's, it's different in that, like, anything that happened in the world, socially or politically, or just from current events standpoint, it seemed like the media asked LeBron about. It's not like that with Lindor. Like, we're not asking him to endorse a presidential candidate. Um, but he's, he's pretty good. The, the one thing I'll give him credit for is you can definitely tell there, there's a little bit more, not moodiness, but some days he's really thoughtful and, like, wants to bullshit with you for a while. And some days you can just tell he's not in the mood and he's pretty short. and Like, that's normal. You can say that about most players. But the difference with him is that, like, when he's really, when he's in the mood, and you can, I mean, he'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I mean, it's, it's amazing, <laughs> like, I mean, like, Jason Lloyd has not been around the Indians much. But he was able in spring training to go up to, to Lindor, and I think it was like he got there the day that I came back to Cleveland for a few days to catch my breath. And I told him, I was like, 
Like, I've talked to Lindor a little bit. You might want to ask him about this. And Jason Lloyd, who, like, Lindor doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his name. But because Lindor's in a good mood and he knows his words carry weight, he had no problem talking to Jason Lloyd and, like, looping him in and saying, hey, this is the situation. Like, they haven't offered me the contract I want. We've talked, but, like, those negotiations are pretty much over. Um, so it's, 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 he's a little different in that. I think he's more... He's more welcoming, like, like LeBron. I don't think LeBron would like grant an interview to some tiny publication, right? Like someone he didn't know. But I think Lindor has days where he will talk to anybody and doesn't care what he says, like the repercussions yeah. of it. No, I, I get that, and some of it is the sport too. You, I mean, it it is. Yeah. It's you come up in an environment where anybody could grab you at any time. I mean, if the NBA was like that now, um, I mean, I, it's somewhat like that, but to pull back the curtain a little bit, the, the amount of access you get between the NBA and, and, and Major League Baseball is just nowhere close. You can, they have shoot-around availabilities, there are practices, but a lot of the times you've got to talk to somebody with the team to get them to grab a player to bring them over to you. Now, you mm-hmm. might get lucky enough to be able to grab a player before a game, but it's pretty rare now. Players know when that media time is, and they will avoid the locker room at all fucking costs. Um, and they know when to be in there, when not to be in there. And then, of course, after a game, if you want to grab somebody, you can. But it's just a, it's a completely different environment compared to baseball where there's 25 different guys in the locker room. Um, and it's a different sport where you talk to LeBron after every game. After right. every game, because he has an imprint on every game. And even if he has a bad game, he's so important to the team that you're talking to him after every game, even if he only scored 17 points. You know, then that's a bad day for LeBron. With with baseball, I mean, Lindor goes 0 for 4. He's not the story. You're not talking to him. So it's a completely different setting. I think that well, plays I mean, into think, it a little bit. Yeah, think about how I remember when I was at Cleveland.com. Um, and I switched over there in 2013 when they were like expanding so that they could eventually destroy the plane dealer. But um, they, they hired a new Cavs team and they hired a regular Cavs beat writer who was Chris Haynes. And then they hired a specific LeBron beat writer. And he, his job was talk to LeBron every single day and write about his games, his off the court ventures. Like, you wouldn't do that with Francisco Lindor, and you certainly wouldn't do it given the fact that it's a 162-game season, and he doesn't have the -the off-the-court or off-the-field initiatives that LeBron does. But um, So it's very different. But you're right. Like, we we talk to Lindor when we need to, when it makes sense. But there have been times, I feel like last year, maybe because it was – the season was such a slog for a while. There were several times when we all looked at each other and we were like, are we about to talk to Francisco Lindor for like the fourth straight day? Like, shouldn't we bug somebody else instead? And part of that too is the stupid traditions of post-game clubhouse access, which I'm glad we have, but also it's pretty worthless for the most part because you're just getting people to comment on what just happened in a game and like they haven't really had time to cool down and reflect on it. And they're going to give you a lot of canned answers. And like, I mean, I don't write game recaps, so it's pretty worthless to me, but like it does get tiresome in a baseball setting when you talk to people 
every single day. And this is this goes on for eight months. It's a little different in the NBA, but but in from in LeBron's case, like yeah, he is talking every single day, multiple times for however many months in a row. So it's it's weird. And baseball, so much of it is is like there's so many unwritten rules and so much like you just have to like have a good sense of like how the clubhouse works and talking to guys, when is the right time to do it? How should you approach them? Um, yeah, but, I mean, there's definitely an art form. I mean, you, we've seen a number of guys come in from other sports to cover even just a, a weekend series, and it's a completely different animal. It, it takes some time to adapt to know who you're supposed to talk to and when you're supposed to talk to them. Yeah, but Linder, I, I give him a lot of credit because the one thing is, I mean, he's got that corner locker both in spring training and that progressive field. And like the players know when the media has access every day. They know what time we're going to be in there, like the 45 minute block where they should go eat their meal or go to the weight room. And they can Wait, you're, easily... you're telling me that when a player says, hey, I got to go hit, I'll be back in 20 minutes that they don't. Are you telling me that they actually know that we won't be in there 20 minutes from now? <laughs> oh, my God. Blow him my mind, dude. Bradley Zimmer was Harry Houdini for September of 2019. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, but I'll give, give Lindor credit. Like, he he's at his locker as often as any other player. I mean, a lot of times the relievers are at their lockers because they don't ever do anything. Um, but in terms of position players, Lindor is in the clubhouse during media access availability as often as basically anybody else. And it's impressive because if I were him and, and you know that odds are someone's going to want to talk to you, I wouldn't be in there. But I think he's he's more down to earth than the average superstar. And more yeah, think, willing yeah. to open up. And I, th- I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I mean, he, to his credit, he... He will. He if, if he legitimately has time and you're not over there to ask the stupidest of stupid questions, he will entertain those questions for a few minutes. He normally doesn't have a problem talking to pretty much anybody. So he is a rare breed in, in that for sure. Some of it is in the environment. Some of it is his, is his personality. And I think he just because he is such naturally just such a people person. He, he doesn't have to put on a show. I mean, he does, to a certain level, crank it up to 11, for sure. Any professional athlete or any enter- entertainer of any kind is, even, even the most genuine of person is turning up their personality more than they actually would be in any other setting. So, I mean, he knows how to do that. But for the most part, he's, I think he just enjoys conversations and, and kind of being in the spotlight he doesn't shy away from it and it's i'm not talking like even in a an unhealthy or selfish kind of way he just enjoys being out front enjoys talking and and kind of being the spokesman and i'm there are days that he doesn't necessarily want to do that but he still does that anyway Uh, that that's why he we we all know that there are going to be days where it's going to be tough to talk to anybody but to his credit to be where he's at in the game right now and still be as accessible as he is. Uh, it's still kind of in a, a nice little sweet spot. Cause that's, that's not going to continue into his thirties. I can promise you that if he, if he remain maintains this level of stardom, it is going to become more and more, especially in a bigger market where there are just more people to constantly bother him. Then I don't think it's going to continue. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say the same thing. I remember a few years back, I was talking to a, he teamed up with Pepsi for something. I was talking to a marketing rep from Pepsi, and he was just saying, this kid is the absolute dream for any company or, or marketing agency. He checks every box. I mean, he's the kid never stops smiling. He's so personable and likable. He's bilingual. Um, he's he plays a position where he's always in the spotlight. Um, and obviously, he's really really good at what he does. And you're right. I mean, you take all those elements, and it's like this is MLB's dream. They should be pushing this dude to the moon. Um, but I do wonder what happens when he goes to a presumably larger yeah. market and has a media contingent of say. 40 people covering him on a daily basis instead of five or six. And I'll be curious to see what it's like. And then when that team plays the Indians and those five or six reporters come over to say hello, I, <laughs> it's always, it's always funny. Cause a lot of players like <clears throat> they'll be more grounded and there'll be like almost like a sense of relief. Like <laughs> yeah, oh, it's nice right. to see familiar faces and, and guys who I know will ask questions that like I'm willing to answer instead of, you know, if he goes to New York and it's just like tabloid shit all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a certain sense of that. I always wonder <laughs> at what point will, for every player, will that be become, well, how long will they have to be here for that to be, a case, you know, the case where you go over to that visiting locker room and they're actually happy to see you. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll be a, a day that Indians fans won't want to think about. But uh, from our perspective of covering the team and, and thinking of it in that aspect, that that's going to be a fun day. See how he reacts to being back here and see, you know, if there's a, in any point in his mind, if he's uh, regretting his actions after he's been plastered all over the back page of some newspaper, or if he's, his wallet is thick enough that he doesn't really care and it's all good. You got a uh, random Indian of the day? I do. This is like my fourth choice because I, the first three, I was worried that we had already done, uh, but we might just, you know what? Maybe we just have to repeat some. It's not the end of the world. Um, no, don't say that. This not, not it, in this year. <laughs> this guy played for the Indians in 2004, which is like maybe the most random forgotten season in Indians history. Scott Ellerton. No. Uh, position player, 24 games, 80 plate appearances. But more importantly, let's let's learn a little bit about him. He was a 10th round selection by the Blue Jays in 1996. He spent parts of eight seasons in the majors. That's wow. Uh, with the Blue Jays, the Indians, the Devil Rays, the Yankees, the Pirates, and the Cardinals. Overall in his career, an 815 OPS. Thanks to a, well, his slash line was pretty good. 273, 343, 472. Not too shabby. Yeah. And with the Indians in those 80 plate appearances, he hit 303 with a 916 wow. OPS. Why did they get rid of him? What happened? Why wasn't he in the lineup every day? How Any old guesses? Was he, how old was he when he was with the Indians? In 2004, he was 26. Oh, boy. And he was a free agent at the end of the year, and the Indians didn't retain him. Went to Tampa. Went to Tampa. 
this season is such a black hole in my memory. I remember them getting close in the division to the Twins at the time. I think they were, what, within a game? A game and a half? Something like that? They were within a game, and then they played them on a Sunday afternoon at home, and they lost, and then they like lost the rest of their games, basically. And then they finished below 500, if I'm not mistaken. I think 80 and 82? Yeah, yeah 80 and 82. Yeah. Um, but remember, that have, was the year they had five All-Stars somehow. Um, damn it, it's not Ronnie Belliard. I don't know. I, I, I don't got it yet. I might not have it, period, but I can't okay, think of so it Okay, so they acquired him in early August of that year from the Blue Jays for someone I've never heard of, Eric Crozier, who played in 14 games with the Blue Jays that year, and that, who was a 41st-round pick of the Indians in 2000. Holy and smokes. is from Columbus, Ohio. Huh. I've never heard of this guy. Eric Crozier. Anyway, I don't know if that's going to help you. It's not. Can't say that it is. Oh, what can I tell you? He went to high school in Idaho. He was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, I'm a little short on my Anchorage, Alaska facts at the moment. With the Indians, he wore number 45. 45. The Indians had a player from Alaska a few years ago. Minor league pitcher. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, I can't. I don't know. I still don't have a good guess. Giving up that easily? Yeah, um... He shares a last name with another random Indian. What position did he play? Do you know Aaron Cunningham was also from Anchorage, Alaska? I did not. So was Kurt Schilling? I am learning so much today. Didn't know they had quite the pipeline. Did, uh, Did you answer what position did he play? He was a first baseman. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought, but I can't. The only name that keeps going through my mind is the name I just wrote was, and it's not him, but Jason Dubois is the only freaking <laughs> first baseman. Um, was it? There was another. Oh crap! What was the Phelps? Ah, uh, yeah. What was his first name, though? Uh, no, not Cord. No, I know it's not Cord Phelps. Uh, I uh, can't. Josh Phelps? Josh Phelps, yes. Oh, my God. Well done. How did you pull that out? I don't. I have. It's somewhere in my brain. I have Phelps and Dubois. Du Bois, whatever it was called. Um, I think they're both stored within the same area of my brain. So I needed one to unlock the other one. That's how that works. Yeah, Josh Phelps had a very strange career because he, in eight years, he only totaled 1,500 plate appearances. And, like, they went pretty well. But it never stuck anywhere. And maybe I thought if, he was... if you have an 800 OPS first baseman, like, you can yeah. find those 
pretty much anywhere. I wasn't a huge power guy. I, I thought he was uh, not like an upper echelon prospect, but I thought he was thought of at least somewhat highly when he came What's... over. I I thought that there was at least some some thought that he could turn into something. Well, he finished sixth in the rookie of the year voting in 2002 and then followed that up with like a pretty good year in 03. And then 04, he was struggling with Toronto, 713 OPS, and they just dumped him. Hmm. All right. And by the way, the Alaskan pitcher who was in the Indian system, Dylan Baker, um, he had some potential and then. I think he latched on with the Dodgers. And, well, let's see. Yeah, I don't remember anything past the name. Independent ball last year with the Kansas City T-Bones. So, Dylan Baker from Alaska. Who could forget? You can subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. You can leave us a voicemail over at Anchor. And you can help support the podcast, anchor.fm slash Godcast. We appreciate every single one of you that do. Any parting words this week? Yeah, I do, actually. I was talking to Chris Antonetti this week, and um, first of all, he said he's been busier than if there was actually a season going on, which I found interesting. But also... Was he scouting Tony Kukoc? I asked him about his his hair. Like, what what are people doing about haircuts? And obviously, I know <laughs> we learned this week that barbershops... Will reopen oh my what, God. next week, but I was thinking like if like Thank Chris Antonetti, Antonetti has had the same hair aside from when everybody buzzed their heads for Mike Avilas's daughter back in 2015. I mean that dude's hair has been like the exact same every single day we've ever seen him in the last decade. So he said his wife watched a couple of YouTube videos and then <laughs> gave him a haircut. That's awesome. And I was surprised oh, to hear that. Goodness. Yeah, we are finding a new level of uh, how much trust do you have in your partner? And the answer is, will they let you cut their hair? And I have not let my wife cut my hair. I, have not I haven't either. Hair. I had to buy one of those Dustin Fox headbands on Amazon. And then um, <laughs> I was using my wife's headbands when I worked out. But now oh I've, my got, God. I've got my own. Oh, well, it's bad. I, I should, I mean, I'm, I'm, if you can just get past the uncomfortable, disgusting part, then you just let the thing grow. So I'm, maybe I'll just, I'll see if I can get the locks back. See, it's been a long yeah, time. I was going to say, you, you looking like your old rocker self? <laughs> yeah. Metal, not, metal TJ? Not, not too far off. I think if I let this go another couple of weeks, we'll, we'll get past the, the weird part and then it'll just, it'll just look good. Unfortunately, the front of the hairline isn't quite far down as it as it once was. So now it's just uh, sitting up top a little further back than I would like it to be. And it just starts to end up looking like I belong on Tiger King or something. All right. Well, we're out of here. Hope everyone has a good week, a good weekend, and we will catch you later. See ya. Selby's Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. 
And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Selby is Godcast. Thanks for listening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.